Welcome, Dwayne. That's Wells Anzac Day special. Obviously, a very emotional day for many people in this country. A, a day of reflection on the grotesque horrors of war, particularly the senseless slaughter of thousands of young Australian and New Zealand men, known as the Anzacs, on the blood-soaked shores of Gallipoli, Turkey, on this day in 1915. It was our very first involvement in the First World War, and in many ways, the end of our innocence as a country, uh, a disastrous slaughter that has forevermore bound our two nations, Australia and New Zealand, together and shaped our understanding of armed conflict in the most brutally honest fashion. Gallipoli was, of course, an absolute bloodbath, a disgraceful loss of life and a disgusting manipulation of the trust and goodwill of young Aussies and Kiwis by the British aristocrats and generals who sent us off in rowboats to scale vertical cliffs teeming with Turkish soldiers and machine guns, lest we forget. Today, Anzac Day serves as a day of remembrance for all those who've served in the theatre of war for these two countries. Equally, it is about the unvarnished truth of war, which is that there is no glory in it, only horror, pain, anguish, grief, and gore. Every time I've been to a dawn Anzac Day ceremony, which I'll be attending this year, I've come away from it fired up to never fight in a war, to always fight for another solution first, to leave no stone unturned in the quest for peace and diplomacy. War, in my opinion, is the lowest common denominator of human existence. It is an orgy of our worst and most primal instincts, and everyone who experiences it comes away infinitely the worse for it. I think of my own family's military history, and I can see the ripple of war-based trauma coming down through the generations, particularly in my granddad, who served in the Second World War, uh, only to return with a mysterious limp, which he never spoke about, and never spoke about the conflict even, and uh, was dead of a heart attack at 50, um, partially attributed to uh, his experiences in the war, but also you know, his, his very high-pressure role as a trade unionist, which we'll get to in a second, uh, because the trade unions and war intersect uh, in a very significant and meaningful way. But uh, yeah, he, he passed when my father was 18, and uh, you know, which rattled my dad, which in turn rattled me, and, and on the cycle of trauma goes. The sad fact of war is that we, the average everyday working people, fight them. Uh, we're sent to fight in them a lot of the time, and uh, we fight against other people just like us. Each of us brainwashed into thinking that the other is the baddie, that we are the righteous ones, when in reality... Our fighting is often little more than an exercise in generating profits for the military-industrial complex and various other captains of industry, or merchants of death, as they were christened by the radical Republican politician Gerald Nye back in 1934. These are the people who benefit from this indefensible bloodshed. Uh, as Nye put it during the special committee investigations following World War I back in 1934, war and preparation for war is not a matter of national honour and national defence, but a matter of profit for the few. Back here in Australia, the proud humanitarians and unionists down there on the wharves of Port Kembla, Fremantle, Port Melbourne and elsewhere 
famously refused to load up Japanese ships with lead bars and tin clippings because they knew those raw raw materials would be turned into weapons to be used on China, who Japan had recently invaded. And as it turned out, uh, those weapons made from the raw materials would be also used on Australians themselves in a few years' time. Um, the Wharfies, the proud Wharfies, the Unionists, they, they did the same when it came to loading scrap iron onto German ships. Uh, they just flatly refused to do it because they knew those materials would be turned into weapons of war that would uh, you know, just cause untold destruction around the world. And, and G's history looks back fondly on them because not only did it do that, uh, the destruction came directly our way. Now, uh, of course, the government, at the behest of the captains of industry, aka merchants of death, no doubt, they passed legislation at that time known as the Transport Workers Act or, or Dog Collar Act, as the Wharfies called it, uh, to crush the strike action and, and force the workers to load our soon-to-be enemies up with the raw materials for weapons, which they would soon use on us, as we now know. This is the reality of war. Just a giant money-washing, money-laundering, and profit-generating exercise powered by the most unimaginable horror. And this is the horror of hearing your best mate crying out for his mum while holding his intestines in his hands and shitting his pants. This is what war looks, sounds, and smells like. It's the horror of hearing the gurgling of oxygen mixing with blood as your mate bleeds out from a bad throat or head wound. It's the smell of decaying bodies and human excrement that often comes out of people as they are dying. You know, this is beyond fucked up, and I ain't here to sugarcoat it for you. Um, that, in my world, would be a disservice to the Anzacs and their legacy. Tell it how it is. Pay attention to who or what is behind the reasons for war. Do not shoot first and ask questions later. That's my take on war and Anzac Day. The fight is, is not against each other. It's against the tyrants who pit us against each other, in my opinion. So take aim at the scum in your own homeland before you take aim at the scum in someone else's homeland. None of this, however, changes how I feel about the two men you're about to hear from, Ben and Nathan, both returned servicemen from the Middle East where they experienced heavy fighting and, uh, as a result, live with the often debilitating consequences of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, These two guys are among the the greatest guests we've ever had on the program, uh, program, and I am full of admiration for the sacrifice they made and the service they gave. Incredible humans. Um, the resilience and the story that you're about to hear from them, if you haven't already, is pretty incredible uh, and pretty emotional, as you can imagine. Um, full of nothing but love and admiration for those two men. Uh, get behind the Veteran Surfers Association, which they're both involved in. Um, and, you know, as you're going to hear from their story, it's complicated because there are often situations where nations do need the international community to step in to resolve conflicts. Uh, The situation in Burma right now springs to mind where a military coup has led to a fascist dictatorship hell-bent on murdering all dissenters and raining airstrikes on women, children and men in rebel-held areas. The entire shit show, of course, as you've probably guessed, being facilitated by the merchants of death hiding among our Western corporations, governments, 
and arms manufacturers, all of whom are still continuing to do deals with the Burmese despots. Once again, the unions are on the front foot calling out the Australian companies doing business with the murderous military dictatorship in Burma. And I'll relay those names to you right now in the hope that you can spread the message and make moves to avoid war for the sake of peace, justice and dignity for our comrades across the pond. The businesses are Andaman Teak Supplies, PTY Limited, Chevron, Gecko's Adventure, Jetstar, Lonely Planet, Miller's, Shri Asia Tourism, and Twinsar Oil. Uh, Jetstar provides the regime with funding for 727 soldiers, according to the ACTU press release, which I will attach in the show notes. Uh, yeah, and it's it's on days like this that I also can't help think about the great martyr, the brave and selfless freedom fighter Julian Assange, son of a single mother from Lismore, the world's number one truth teller and anti-war crusader who's being tortured right this very second for exposing the puppet masters and the merchants of death. I've attached a link to the documentary, The War You Don't See, in the show notes, uh, in which Assange features heavily talking about much of what is mentioned here. Uh, It's a film which many believe is the reason he's locked up indefinitely today and facing over 100 years in prison. But uh, I'm going to leave you with a quote from the great man himself regarding the roots of all conflict, but specifically Afghanistan. Uh, He made this statement back in 2011 on the 10-year anniversary of uh, the conflict in that region a conflict that raged for 20 years and uh, technically only ended in 2021, although, uh, as we know, there is plenty of instability and violence still in that region. Uh, Far out, man. Hearing these words by Assange, geez, they ring true today. Because the goal is not to completely subjugate Afghanistan. The goal is to use Afghanistan to wash money out of the tax bases of the United States, out of the tax bases of European countries, through Afghanistan and back into the hands of a transnational security elite. That is the goal, i.e. the goal is to have an endless war, not a successful war. So Stop the War Coalition is important because we have to prevent it becoming normal for there to be a constant war. Very soon, within the next few years, it will become the normal for there to be a constant war in the West. People will reach maturity and adulthood under the understanding that there is always a war. And at that point, war will not be something that is unusual or surprising or horrifying. War will become the new norm. When I was a young man, I carried my pack and I lived the free life of a rover From the Murray's Green Basin To the dusty outback I waltzed my Matilda all over Then in 1915 My country said, son It's time to stop rambling Cause there's work to be done 
Sorry gave me a tin hand and they gave me a gun and they sent me away to the war and the band played waltzing Matilda as we sailed away from the Kai and amidst all the tears and the shouts and the cheers we sailed off for Gallipoli how well I remember that terrible day when the blood stained the sand and the water and how in that hell that they call Sovlabay we were butchered like lambs at the slaughter Johnny Turkey was ready he primed himself well he showered us with bullets and he rained us with shells and in five minutes flat He'd blown us all to hell Nearly blew us right back to Australia And the band played waltzing Matilda As we stopped to bury our slain And we buried ours And the Turks buried theirs and it started all over again Now those who were living did their best to survive in that mad world of death, blood and fire And for seven long weeks I kept myself alive all the corpses around me pile higher Then a big Turkish shell knocked me ass over tip And when I awoke in my hospital bed And saw what it had done Christ, I wished I was dead Never knew there were worse things than dying And no more I'll go waltzing Matilda So the green bushes so far and near For the hang tens and pegs A man needs two legs No more waltzing Matilda for me
So they collected the cripples, the wounded and maimed And they shipped us back home to Australia The legless, the armless, the blind and insane Those proud wounded heroes of Sofla and as our ship pulled into Circular Quay I looked at the place where me legs used to be And thank Christ there was nobody waiting for me To grieve and to mourn and to pity And the band Played waltzing Matilda As they carried us down the gangway But nobody cheered They just stood and stared And they turned their faces away And now every April I sit on my porch And I watch the parade pass before me I see my old comrades How proudly they march Reliving the dreams of past glory I see the old men All twisted and torn the forgotten heroes of a forgotten war And the young people ask me What are they marching for? And I ask myself the same question And the band plays waltzing Matilda And the old men I'll answer the call But year after year Their numbers get fewer Someday no one will march there at all Waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda Just to introduce yourselves and, and give us an idea about where you're from just before, uh, you know, you, you went into service. Yeah, so I'm Nathan. Um, grew up on the Central Coast. Um, I guess I discovered the ocean a bit later in life. Uh, I was a young teen, had no, um, I guess, um, influence in what I wanted to do. I come from Housing Commission, everything else, and then, um, yeah, moved to Central Coast and joined the Army at the age of 18. So... Um, I've had a long career. Um, I only uh, departed or transitioned to February this year. So I spent 22 years Army. Um, a lot of tours, uh, six in fact, uh, multiple Afghan, Iraq, Timor, Solomon. So yeah, that was um, 
a bit of a history on me. Yeah, I'm Ben. Uh, yeah, thanks again for having us. It's such a privilege. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I was in the army for 11 years. Um, grew up all around the country. By age 10, I had made the choice to leave home. Pretty rough sort of home upbringing like Nate. And um, bound through foster care, boys' homes. And then so when I finished high school, at the, at the grace of the government paying for me to go to this hugely stupid fancy school which I definitely didn't deserve to be there but um, wanted to find that sense of brotherhood, family, um, mateship and then so I joined up the army and uh, yeah a lot of different experiences very similar to Nate, seen a few things, met a few wonderful people and here we are. What's when you first get in there after you know um, traumatic childhoods or, or a sort of you know negative experience of you know, what's meant to be the golden years of your life. Like, what do you actually find with that connection when you first get there that's really positive? Like, what, what did you love about it? Uh, I'll go. It's definitely the mateship and the camaraderie. It's, it's tribal, and we've spoken about it all week, and, um, you know, we are a tribe. And that's what the Defence Force and the Army offered me. Um, being infantry, we work in small teams, platoons, companies, you know, battalions. And um, over a long period, I initially I only wanted to do my four years. I'm like, that's it. Or four years, uh, move on. Um, yeah, but I stuck around. Um, I just enjoyed it so much. Just getting to hang with the boys. You know, you did everything together. We got on the piss together. We worked hard together. We played hard. Um, and then operationally, when you go overseas, you're... In that small team environment, you're looking out for each other and, um, you know, they look after me as much as I look after them. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a bit of a segue into, you know, operations. Um, Afghan was probably the big big one for me. Um, um, 2010, it was about my fourth or fifth tour overseas. Um, we took a big hit. Um, we lost six of our own members and I wear a bracelet every day for those guys. Um, and we lost a further three brothers in other units, and so nine soldiers in a matter of months, and that's a big, um, that's that's a that's a massive um, number of KIA for Australians since Vietnam. So, um, but going into um, I guess further down the track, um, mentally I started breaking, but I didn't know at that time. My body was breaking down, my mind was breaking, but I wanted to take the easy options. I didn't want to deal with my traumas and issues and PTSD and everything else, which naturally comes after all that, all that service and all those trips overseas and losing mates, etc. Um, so I needed to connect again with my mind. Um, I had four shoulder reconstructions. My body was breaking um, and I really had to tune into what I wanted um, with my career and I knew it was coming to an end. Um, so I took drastic action and um, started getting, you know, suicidal thoughts. Um, I had a plan, knew what I wanted to do. Um, decided to take some tablets one day. Um, you know, didn't work, um, fortunately. But that, to me, uh, that was the easy option. I didn't want to address my issues. My mindset wasn't in the right place at that time um, with the physically and uh, mental injuries. Um, so... Moving forward again, um, yeah, come good, come out of it, um, and I started connecting with myself. Um, and I guess uh, it was the ocean that kind of got me. Um, I went back to my roots, you know, started surfing again. Um, I formed a board riders. Um, so we were surfing every Thursday, a part of work, which is great, you know. You get paid to go surfing. Um, but I could see the mind change in the guys who were surfing, 
Um, they'd go back to work and they were just, you know, you could see they were just so lit up and so productive and they were smiling and everyone was just enjoying it. It was growing quite, quite rapidly. So, yeah, that was a transition for me out of the Defence Force after 22 years. Um, mine and body started breaking. Um, yeah, and it was, um, it's the metaphor I use is everyone has a wipeout at some point and, you know, regardless, you know, professional, um, amateur, um, whatever you're riding, everyone has a wipeout at some point. And it's, you've got two decisions. You either paddle back out, get back in the line out with a, with a tribe, potentially some mates, or you go in, sit on the beach and just, you know, feel sorry for yourself. And that's the metaphor in life that I like to use. It's, you know, we all take hits. It's whether you move forward um, or, you know, you can go sit on the beach and, and you know, withdraw socially. Um, connection is key. Um, and, you know, the water is just that, that is the place to be. That's where you find yourself. Um. And I think we like rely on those small teams like so much in the military. And until a certain point, we have those wipeouts, but we do it in a very intrinsic way. We, because if you share it with your mate, who's potentially going through his or own shit too, uh, you're a burden. And then so we've developed this culture in the military where it's, where we're so disconnected largely a lot of the time with what's happening in the civilian world, in the real world. Yeah. And we choose not to connect with that because it's not our identity there. Mm. And then so when we leave the, the defence force, as Nate sort of mentioned, that transition can be a really challenging thing, especially for the men. I've still got to be the man of the house. I've got to provide. I've got to be stable. I've got to do all these things that are, we've intrinsically just grabbed onto as, as men. And um, we put all that pressure on ourselves. So there's like sometimes a foundation of anxiety, PTSD, whatever it all is. And it's compounded by the fact of we can't identify an outlet to to start speaking about that and start addressing those traumas. So we've got to go through this rigmarole process. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's difficult and that's why we love what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah Ben spoke just about transition itself. And then um, when you move into the Defence Force, um, the Army is what I know, so that's what I can speak for. Um, it takes 10 weeks to transition a civilian. So anyone here, you know, you go recruiting, 10, 10 weeks later, you're a soldier. And... Depends on how long you've done. The longer you've done, the harder it is to transition out. So for myself, after 22 years, I knew nothing about the outside. I didn't even have a fucking Medicare card. So I'm like, how do I, how do I organise this sort of shit? The army's been looking after me all this time. So there's no transition process out. So that's why Ben and I, um, we run the Association Veteran Surfers. So we fill that void and that gap for getting out. So you're not just kicked to the curb. And we grab those soldiers right there and then and we don't give a shit if they surf if they just want to be around the ocean we'll connect with them we'll go for a coffee and um we'll be that first point of contact because otherwise they go into that social you know um isolation they just they socially withdrawn um they you know sit on their hands and don't want to do anything um so we just try and grab them early and get them in the water uh, even if it's just to have a swim uh, you know it it really helps them um yeah, that's why we set up Association Veteran Surfers. We've got the five chapters up at the East Coast, um, Sydney, Newcastle, um, North Coast, Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast. So 
um, yeah, we're getting a, a lot of a lot of traction, um, and yeah, that's why we're here today, um, just so you know we can connect with you guys, and you know hopefully see you out in the out in the big world. Um, don't don't be shy, say hello if you see one of our shirts or anything. We're pretty friendly. Um, yeah, <laughs> man, the, the trauma of war is one of the most virulent strains of trauma, um, and you know. I, I look at you know my my great granddad and, and granddad fought in the great wars or the big wars and uh, I can actually still see that trauma rippling through the generations through my old man into me and um, I guess you know they say if you, you stop the cycle of trauma you stop it for seven generations yeah. uh, which is both um, you know a nice thought to stop uh stop the pain leaking through for seven generations but it also gives you an idea of how hard it is to stop you know what are some of the uh, the healing modalities um or what have you guys learned about ptsd i mean what are the how does it happen um what can you tell us about this condition yeah i'll, I'll touch on quick um i think it's important to acknowledge that it's different for everyone um, and I think we were saying before before this um, potty that everyone's their own expert based on their own experiences. You're all experts of your own experience and you know that and that's a beautiful thing because that's what makes us all who we are um, and it, it shapes us, right? Um, I think for us as veterans, there's a big process of denial for a lot um, and we continue to find band-aid solutions which are not the answer um you know tom's been talking about that sort of stuff in in that in the height of his career and stuff um finding the right support it's really easy especially as a guy to stay in that party scene and just you know live live the high life you know creating facades for yourself um <coughs> but um yeah, I don't know. PTSD is a really complex one, and yeah. I guess through ocean therapy is what how we're trying to address that, as opposed to a prescriptive way. I guess it's um that's again we come back to why we created um AVS veterans to support veterans. Um, it's when it comes to PTSD for me personally, it's about helping others, and I know you touched on it um in one of your readings yesterday about um doing things for other people, um and that gives me so much gratification. Um, but at the same time, I've got to be careful not to overflow my own cup by helping others too much and not taking that step back to, you know, bring it back to me just and be present and then give it that way I can give more to others. And that's, that's the way I've dealt with my own PTSD is just to help others. I, I really enjoy, you know, helping other veterans or anyone in general who just needs, needs a bit of um, clarity and perspective and um, yeah, it's compartmentalizing is that's that's the issue. If you pack shit away, it's going to come out in other ways when you least expect it. You know, you, it'll just nod away at you, and you know it'll come out, and you know in anger, frustration, or otherwise, you know, and and that's where we run risky behaviour. So you got to check yourself and don't compartmentalize it. And changing the culture around that, like changing that culture, is such a difficult thing to do as well. Mm. It's a, it's a challenging thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, coming from uh, like, 
low socioeconomic, that kind of football, like toxic, uh, you know, that real macho realm, like stepping into this and doing, you know, breath work and meditation and yoga. I can remember you know, the very first day almost that I did yoga and I just remember going, what the fuck? Is this you? Is this you? Kind of you seriously going to be standing there doing some weird pose? Like, I was just so rattled by the whole concept of it. It was such a challenge to who I thought I was. Um, and, and that ego and that identity was so fixed and in place and those first few baby steps were so difficult. But fuck, I'm glad I'm t- I took them. Um, it's led to this place right here, right now. And it is a beautiful thing. And um, it's connecting all of us. In terms of, um, you know, you talk about that transition from military life into civilian life. Uh, and obviously, like, you know, everyone who's coming back from the theatre of war is, is basically going to have PTSD. Uh, wouldn't you like close to it anyway? It's pretty hard. I'd imagine pretty hard yeah. to go there and not experience something seriously traumatic that's gonna shape the rest of your life. And uh, you know, PTSD. I don't know if you guys have read that book, The Body Keeps the Score, but it is like uh, such a radical uh, condition. Uh, it, the the hallmark of it biochemically is a lot of cortisol flushing through the central nervous system um, constantly every time you're triggered. You know, every time you, you have a, a blow-up or a, a schwitz, you, your whole central nervous system just loads up with cortisol, the stress hormone, which is carcinogenic in large amounts. Cortisol cancels serotonin, so you, you will never feel any kind of... Uh, you can't. You just cannot really feel happy um, when you're loading up with cortisol all the time. So you can do large tracks of time um, where you will never feel the sensation of happiness or contentment, and, and that will wear you down over time. And... Um, yeah, I guess, you know, in terms of transitioning, what does, what does the government, what does, uh, the Veteran Affairs Association, what do they prescribe? What do they, they offer you? Um, there's a lot of support out there these days. It's not like Vietnam era where the soldiers weren't looked after too well when they come home. There's a lot for us. You've just got to seek it out though. Um, in terms of PTSD, um, when I was first diagnosed, I had no idea. I just sort of come with a stigma, um, you know, like, shit, am I supposed to be waking up in the middle of the night screaming, running out the front, digging a hole and, you know, running from the enemy type stuff? It's not like that at all. To me, it's self-worth. Um, and that's where it hit me because the army had built me up so much and put me on a pedestal. I had a great career. Um, but at the same time, it chopped off at the legs like once they've done with you they're done with you that's it um so it is and it's adjustment as well on the transition out and there is no single pill for ptsd there's a pill for anxiety there's a pill for depression you know everything there's nothing so they tell for. you so, so they, they tell, tell you, you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there is i yep. don't think there's a magic pill for anything to that's be right yeah yep. and that's that's where i'm like okay now i need to get the mind right and it is it's combining everything good nutrition good sleep you know, mindfulness, you know, meditation, yoga. I love yoga. It's awesome. Yeah, so good for you. Um, just that movement is in the flow. It's just so good, good for the body. So if you can combine all that, I think that's probably the best thing. And there are a lot of going back to defense organizations out there who are there. They're there to help. But a lot of them are large businesses as well. So, you know, it's that's where we fill the void. You know, we're not, large, we're not a business. Um, we just want to help people. Yeah, you're not a business, you're a human being. Yeah, be a good fucking human, Organs and needs, and (laughs) uh, it's a sad fact that that war is a big business, Uh, and and there's a lot of money gets washed in the theatre of war and and through the the building of weapons, and then uh, it it makes sense, you know, they'll they'll build you up and build you up and and, and tell you the 
you're the man until uh, they're done with you and they'll just fucking chuck you by the curbside. And you hear a lot of, of that, particularly in America, um, coming out of the States, just how poorly their veterans are looked after there. And I don't know exactly what the situation is here. Um, but in terms of some of the pharmacology of, of treating PTSD, I, what are you guys aware of in that space? I know uh, MDMA therapy has been pretty promising. Uh, I've undergone that myself. And um, I know Gabo Mate, uh, we talked about him yesterday, uh, you know, one of the, the great kind of uh, doctors in the field of trauma. He's a big uh, proponent of ayahuasca um, and, and psilocybin and some of these plant medicines. Uh, uh, CBD oil, I'm, I'm sure, it has some great benefits for inflammation, uh, migraines, uh, anxiety. It's an anxiolytic scientifically proven to help with anxiety can you talk to us about some of the, the pharma pharmacological interventions uh and, and where they're at legally i guess to actually i'm not 100 percent sure on where the legalities are at um i can speak from my own experience and that of fellow veterans of mine that i've served with that have um have gone down the prescription route like i did and then have come back to receiving the knowledge about what is out there and the good talk that is going on. Um, had a, a good friend of mine that actually I went through all my basic training with and he became um, one of Nathan's soldiers and uh, deployed to Afghan very soon after our training. So when we're talking about the preparation that Nathan and I received before we went overseas, aside from the technical training, there was not a thing to warn us about. I think we had... We, I think we got one or two maybe lectures from an army-trained psychologist about what we might experience when we go overseas. That was amazing. You know, like, <laughs> you know and that, that's all, that's a, that's, that, was, that was the job. And then before you come back from overseas, you fill out a two-page tick and flick sheet and then you're meant to do, you, and sometimes you slip through the system, a three-month checkup with your psych when you get home. That's the extent of the psychological support that we get either side. It's starting to improve. The military's made improvements there. But I think also touching back to sort of what that transition period needs to look like, it can't start with any one solution, whether it's pharma, you know, it's prescription, like alternative. It needs to start really holistically and look at the whole family because the whole family serves too. The whole family serves, not just that, that veteran. Um, they make the physical sacrifice, sure, um, but the family, they receive that emotional trauma as well. So our belief, I guess, is we should be looking at this a bit more holistically and doing proper case planning and case management for the transitioning veteran. So we go, okay, what's your plan over the next three months? Where do you see yourself? Just like you did when you're in year ten, and you're meant to know what you want to do with your life, like, yeah. So I don't know. There's, I think any talk about anything is great because if it's not surfing, it could be horses, could be a therapy dog, could be whatever. So yeah. Yeah, they call this. Uh, I think they call it stacking. Is the the term where you just stack healing modalities on top of each other and, and do it all in the same day uh, and day after day and. Uh, over time, you will heal. You know, the the brain and the body are amazing like that. Their ability to, to regenerate. Um, but it really is a matter of stacking those healing modalities. You know, we've been doing it here basically: meditation, Wim Hof, ice bath, movement, and then repeat. 
in the evening if you can. But the problem is, you know, the, the way our system is set up, uh, we don't have the time to do this shit. Um, and I think that's that's bullshit and that needs to change. Uh, there is absolutely no reason why we should be worked as hard as we are. And, you know, let's be real. There's, there's fucking billions of dollars just hidden in a cloud somewhere or a bank account or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And uh, that needs to be, that, that time and that life force needs to be given back to us so we can be given the opportunity to heal. And, and, and that's what this summit is about. It's about creating that space and, and time and opportunity to do that work together. It's a lot easier when you share the workload amongst yourselves as you would have felt when you did the Wim Hof. Um, yeah. So, mate, I don't know if it's worth going into like, I, but in terms of just giving people an idea, I mean, who haven't been to the theater of war, like, you know, what it is, that you have you see and have to deal with there is that something that is worth talking about or like it's 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 totally up to you guys if there's if there's value in it i don't know if there is but um yeah i mean obviously no one in this room has has, has seen what you guys have seen and and i guess you can maybe give us an idea of what that is and maybe that'll have some value yeah so um when it comes to, um, I guess, different theatres, so I've done from peacekeeping right through to, you know, full-blown-out war where we're losing guys, shooting, you know, you know, it's we're engaging with an enemy. But when it comes to the peacekeeping stuff, you know, it's a bit more low-key. You know, we might be just walking down, um, down the street. And in every country that I've found, the one thing that is always the same is the children. So when... I've been asked, why did I choose to join the army? Why do I go to war? I don't get into the political sense of it. I didn't do it for the government, you know. I did it for the people that I was working with, you know, my mates. But going back to that kid, every country, you've got two options when you're walking past a child. You can tell them to go away. Yep, like they, they become annoying. All they want is water and crayons and a lolly or something. Every country, no matter what. So... You've got two options there. In a place like Afghanistan, if you tell a kid, you know, go away, piss off, you know, Emshi, you know, that that kid, you know, 10 years down the track, he'll remember that. He'll remember that soldier that told him to go away and all he wanted was some water, you know, or, you know, just some engagement with a Westerner. If, if you take the time and give that kid just whatever he wants, a sip of water or a crayon, you know, Potentially, you could stop him from becoming, you know, um, an enemy insurgent or a Taliban, um, ISIS down the track, because he will remember that. He will remember that soldier that gave him the lolly, gave him the, the drink of water, and, and that could be the turning point. Because let's be honest, Afghan went for 20 years. Um, you know, some of us, my child's 15, he's nearly old enough to fight himself. So, you know, that small kid could be fighting against my own child. So, and that's, that's why I did it. The children, they're just so beautiful in every country. And, um, and in terms of, you know, what we've seen, what we've done, yeah, some, some, some shitty stuff, some real shitty stuff. Um, you know, watching your mates, you know, being shot, being killed, blown up, it's not nice. Um, but, you know, it always comes back to that, that small child and why we did it. So... Um, that's my philosophy on it, and that's that's what kept me going. Yeah, it's um, I think survivor's remorse is something that uh, survivor's guilt is something that is really common for us veterans. Um, we feel that shit all the time, 
Um, I was telling a couple of guys last night, sometimes Anzac Day and Remembrance Day, we sort of see that as the overall commemoration, but it's those individual days that we deal with where we lost good mates of ours, um, and that survivor's guilt is a really big thing. And I think the fuck thing is that that's come out of my services, I've lost more mates of mine to suicide than I have in combat, which is so super fucked. Like, um, and that speaks, I guess, back to the volumes of, you know, and, and actually the only time um, we often catch up as veterans is at fucking funerals. Like, that's so fucked up. I don't know any other job in the world where that's like a standard thing. And that shit hurts. Like, you know, I'm probably at a stage at the moment where emotionally I don't know if I can go to another funeral, whether it's family or a veteran. Or It sort of, it, it rocks me and it'll rock me for like a three-week period or so after where I'll just, that survivor's guilt and, you know, um, remembering the look on, 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 on Jackie Gavin's face when we lost Luke in Afghan, like... Um, you know, the look on Haley's face when we lost Tristan to suicide, the look on my mate H's um, face, and you know, on his family after he took his own life on base, and you know, the night before he he only asked me to come around for a beer, like that kind of guilt is stuff that is really, really fucking difficult to talk about at times, and and it's you know, H was. You know, the funniest guy in the world. You know, got a tattoo on his groin with an arrow saying, eat me. Like, that was, a, that was the type of larrikin that H.E. was, you know. Um, he was meant to be the MC at my wedding, like, a couple of weeks later. Like, you, it's this sort of shit that we don't see. And it's, it's such a fucking annoying thing when someone goes, yeah, but you knew what you were signing up for. Um, that's like saying everything that in your life that happens, it's bad. You know, you've lived your life. You should have seen it coming. Like it it doesn't check out. Like, um, yeah, recruitment's got a a funny spin on things. I wanted to ask you that. Thanks for sharing, man. Thank you. Like, how do you guys, with the trauma that you've dealt with, with the, uh, you know, getting to this point, finding mechanisms to, to stay healthy and to stay positive as best you can. How do you reflect on your, your decision to s- sign up, you know, to sacrifice your life for whatever the greater good was, whatever the message was? Like, if you, if you met the younger you on the day that you were walking in, what would you say? I'd do it all again. Yeah. I'd definitely 100% do it all again. I've no regrets. Uh, it's an outstanding career choice and, and it's just so – you have so much pride that you get to wear the Australian national flag on your arm and represent us. And, and you know, you just have to be a good human and you will be a successful soldier, um, you know. And is there, there are, room for that? No? Is there room, there is in, room in the army to be human or are you actually sort of, you know, drilled to be a, a machine, a cog in a machine? It's a bit of both. Yeah. Like it's a bit of both. It's a balance and I think when you – as you progress through your military career, you develop maturity um, oh, for any job. You know, like you, the more time you spend in any job, like you're going to become more wise about what's going on and, and, you know, you get better and you, you achieve recognition. It's, it's a very similar analogy 
to uh, uh, something that we people say, why do you want to go overseas? It's like uh, training with a professional sports team and never getting to play a game with them. You know, that's that's how we kind of describe the want to go overseas and the want to deploy and wanted to be, you know, we're in a very alpha type job when we're in the military. Like, we're big dogs. Like, you know, it was that sort of macho mentality and the want to be the best version of yourself, not for yourself, but for the guy or girl next to you. Like, that was what you worked for, um, you know. And that's a hard thing to separate for and try and explain to people that don't do that type of job. Um, very unique. But going back to that human um, question, yeah, you can. And, you know, a great example that I like to use is um, one of my soldiers was killed on the 24th of August 2010 um, after a three-hour firefight. Um, once the fight had finished, like, we'd all been hooking in that day pretty hard. Um, you know, most of us that had given CPR, obviously... Um, wasn't a success um but once we got him out of there we had to go back clean up his room my job at that time i was a sergeant um was to in inventory his gear um and he lived or he shared a room with two other guys two of his mates so you know the human factor had to i had to be that stand-up guy that leader but at the same time apply the human factor so you know i was exhausted myself um still had dirt in my teeth it was a pretty big day um and drank or eaten but i had to get those boys out of the room so i could go through his stuff and inventory everything so um you know that is just the human factor i had to be the human but also i had to be the leader so you know if you can um recognize that that time to be the human and that that was the example i'd use um you know and it, it wasn't being that hardened person like well you pack his fucking shit up inventory i had to be the human and because I had to look after them and, you know, because, the, you know, they're my soldiers. I had to look after them. What help. Nate actually means is he had to go through the mate's porn yeah, uh, collection yeah, yeah. and he had a good, uh, make had sure a good, it's all deleted. He had a, yeah, I had to do a bit of vetting. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, this might be naive. It's a, it's a big picture thing. I mean, I don't have the, the experience to really talk about this, but, I mean, have we reached a point in human evolution where militaries could be deployed to, you know, build infrastructure instead of blow it up. Well drop aid instead of dropping bombs. Well that that's been the intent, um, without going into the political part of it. Um one of our missions was to reconstruct and rebuild and that's what we did in Afghanistan. We went over there, we started reconstructing, then we started rebuilding and then we started training their defence force, you know, and getting them to stand on their own two feet. And subsequently, it hasn't really worked, has it? But, you know, like I said, I don't get too wrapped up about it. Um, you know, we lost some ground over there. Um, you know, we've lost soldiers. They've bled, you know, on that dirt. And that dirt now belongs, it's back to the Taliban. So, you know, we can't get emotional about it. Um, it's it's just the nature of the gig. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we... You know, we're doing a lot more domestically now, like all the floods and fires that have been happening. That's where our defence force, and during COVID, you know, who was standing at the hotels? They're all soldiers. And, you know, I joined the army in 2000, so it was a great time because we were bouncing from operation to operation, you know, country to country. And so I was lucky, you know, just going straight from Timor, boom, Afghan, you know, Iraq. I was just going from one country to the other and at the same time maintaining a family and everything else at home. So, 
Um, yeah, but now it's a different time. Um, most soldiers are just helping out domestically. And I think that's where a lot of our effort needs to be. Let's look at the home. Um, Fucking earth, yep. man. I mean, Let's look at look, the home. It's our money, you know. Yeah. We're, 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 we're spending this money on, on the military. It's, it's all taxpayer funded. Um, I had the, the great pleasure of working alongside um, the military during the, the flood relief uh, down there at Wardell, you know. Fucking just working with the toughest chicks in the game just like oh you need a hand of that wheelbarrow they fucking laughed in my face dude just like what are you gonna do stick man um yeah that was such a great experience and i 100 percent um agree i think yeah it's such a, a a great experience to work with you know these salt of the earth hardened um you know well-trained personnel in, in a compassionate a compassionate way and a compassionate field and i think that is the future um you know i, I hope it is anyway because uh yeah I'm, I'm sick of war man but you know, and violence and all of it but yeah lads uh i think on behalf of everyone thanks very much for your service thanks very much for coming and sharing your stories today and uh it's just been a real thrill to have you guys here and uh and sharing in the you know, some of the tools that maybe you can take back to the veterans if you're not using them already. I'm sure you probably are. But, you know, every little thing that has happened this weekend, I've been pretty amazed, you know, even if I thought I knew, like, I mean, even just the dancing, you know, getting involved in that and just freeing up the body and feeling like I was entering a new space. It all helps. And, um, yeah, I hope it helps you guys as uh, the veteran hurt. surfers keeps yeah. ploughing onward. Yep. Thank you so much, boys. Thank you so much. I love you, lads. It's been so good to connect with you.